0: This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's playground.
1: This is Mike Frisch of Fishing the Midwest, and you're listening to Paul Bunyan Country.
0: Today on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, we're going to talk about technology. Uh, obviously, a key part of fishing and everything that we do in the world these days. Uh, Storm Kettlehead is a fishery specialist out of the Glenwood Area Fisheries Office. Storm, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me back again, Kev. I, uh, I have to be completely honest. The first time you reached out a few years ago, um, I hadn't listened to your show. <laughs> and then, uh, since doing some of the Lake of the Weeks, I started actually following you on my iPhone. I listened to your podcast, Speaking of Technology. And uh, man, you have some pretty heavy hitters on. So I'm a pretty small fish, no pun intended on that. But uh.
0: (laughs) well, (laughs) thanks, Storm. I appreciate that. I'm glad you're listening. I appreciate that too. Um, One of the reasons we're having you on today is because you're part of a fisheries technology work group within the DNR. Um, So let's just start with that. Um, What is that group? I mean, it kind of describes itself there, but what is that group tasked with? What are you trying to determine and, and what's kind of your timeline for, for, for this work group?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, the big thing over the last couple of months, I've heard the work group mentioned a few times, whether it's podcasts or other media outlets, but um, I haven't really heard it described anywhere. So it seemed pretty fitting And as you've just asked what exactly is it and uh, what are we doing? So the fisheries technology work group is a compilation of individuals from within the DNR, specifically fisheries from a variety of different backgrounds, as well as some people who are part of the angling community, but not necessarily associated with the DNR, to just provide this pretty eclectic group of people to, um, to borrow a term from sports, which seems relevant right now with the football playoffs, uh, do a self-scout, and really analyze, you know, what do we know about fishing technology right now? What are we doing well as far as uh, understanding it and how it's being used? What are some areas that we need to dive into a little more and we we could improve our understanding there? And then, um, you know, maybe even seeing some issues that might be on the horizon. the, The DNR as a whole is really making a point to be more proactive in our management and I'm sure from talking with people, you've noticed that historically management, not just in Minnesota, but nation or even worldwide, has been pretty reactive.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And
1: with that, you're kind of behind the ball, right? So when you're reacting to something, the issue already present. So you're trying to identify, you know, how did this happen and playing catch up to get to the point where you can even try and fix it. Um, and not to say there's going to be any issues, but staying in tune with these technologies and How people are using them just gives us a better understanding of what's going on in the fishing community and um, even maybe get rid of some misinformation about the technology and how it's being used because it's not necessarily a bad thing. Right.
0: Right. And I and I I, one of the things is you can't put the genie back in the bottle. I mean, we've seen that over and over and over again. And and Storm, the thing that I find interesting is when you talk about technology, the the, the many layers of technology. For example, just in the development of better rods, better reels, uh, better lures, that's all technologically driven as well. So it's not just the scope, which we'll get into, and, and some of that stuff. It's everything. Everything about fishing has been driven by technology the last few years, just like everything in car development or whatever you want to talk about, whatever category you want to talk about. Uh, Technology is driving it and making it uh, better from from really every angle you look at.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that it's pretty easy to overlook when you talk about technology. I mean, computers and sonars instantly pop in your mind. But we were just having this discussion the other day of, you know, you think of guy's hand lining fish where they put a crimp in the line so that you could see a really light bite when that crimp comes undone, where now you have rods where the tips are so sensitive, whether it's ice fishing or open water that you can even detect that bite before the fish even knows that it's on a line. Um, Just things like that and reels that are better at throwing water off so that they're not getting all gummed up and reel grease that's more conducive to being in cold weather. Just, making it easier for people to be out and some pretty incredible elements and still be successful. So there's a pretty wide variety of things that have come along that really have changed how we uh we approach fishing.
0: Well, uh, let's let's start with one of the ones that have been around probably longer and and that's social media. Um we all know even in the old days, you know, the, word would get around about a, a hot, uh, you know, sunfish bite somewhere, and it wouldn't take long, and, and that lake would be fished out for a few years. Um, that was just, you know, passing it on the old-fashioned way. Now, you know, one Facebook post, and it could be lights out for a lake, and you know, if it if the bite's hot enough, and there's enough uh, people who see it.
1: Yeah, that's you know, it's crazy to think. As I was getting ready for our discussion, I looked up. Do you know when iPhones and Androids really became popular and hit the market was only 2007 and 2008? And it, it seems way longer than that, right?
0: <laughs> it does, and
1: yes. So there's some people out there now who are driving a car and fishing and doing these things who maybe don't know a life without a smartphone, which is crazy to think. But with those smartphones comes having social media at your fingertips and all sorts of information like that where... Um, Like you said, you could spread information about a hot bite in a second, and it's not just Jim telling Jane at the coffee shop and 15 people show up to the local lake. And I know uh, Brett McComas from Target Walleyes talked about this a few times, where, you know, these hot bites, they're being broadcasted, you know, maybe outside of the state now. Uh, My dad lives in South Dakota, and he had people from Iowa coming up and fishing a tiny pond that people heard there were 13-inch perch in. So- if people know there's a good bite going on, they're not going to be shy to try and get there and exploit it. And rightfully so. I mean, people want to have success while they're on the water.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that social media is a biggie. And, of course, uh, in addition to just the post, it's, you know, YouTube channels uh, where you you can learn lessons about fishing that, you you know, you probably wouldn't have learned um you know within what i'm saying i guess what i'm trying to say is you could sit down at your computer for a week and learn a thousand times more about fishing than it would have taken you years to learn in the past
1: yeah that's that's something that you know i fish all over from the red river to lake superior on the minnesota and wisconsin side lake michigan my new endeavor has been trying to get a flathead on the minnesota river so if any of your listeners (laughs) uh get involved with that. Feel free to reach out. But before I do any of that, I spend hours on my phone reading through forums. Um, Like you said, watching YouTube videos, reading articles about different techniques and little tips that people have. And that's where back to oversharing maybe on social media. I don't have Facebook personally, but I go on there and I read a lot about what other people are saying because, you know, it's an ego booster, right? Some people can't help but post pictures and brag about where they're catching fish and how they're doing it. And I'll consume it if they put it out there. But we also have to realize that from a fishery standpoint, you know, there's bigger bodies of water that can maybe sustain that information and handle that many people taking advantage of it. But in smaller situations, that might be a pretty good way to exploit smaller fisheries. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're doomed forever, but it it could be a fairly long-term impact. Yeah.
0: One of the things you noted, you, you sent me some bullet points that uh, I had not thought of, but of course, this is key: um, the lake mapping, and uh, all, and that's that's you know that's everywhere now, and that's that's a huge change.
1: Yeah, uh, you know that's. I know you're the one doing the interview, but it kind of made me think of a question for you. Sure. Of, uh, do you ever just go to a lake now and fish it without looking at a map of it before you get there?
0: No. <laughs> yeah, and
1: that's. I mean, it's just. You don't even really think about that as uh, one of these major technological advancements where, all right, so I, I think if would be neat to try this place. I can pull up a map, you know, unless it's some little tiny lake in the middle of nowhere. Generally, you have a pretty good high-def map and can start highlighting points where it's like, you know, I'll check there, I'll check there, I'll look here, and you're likely going to find fish or you have a, have a really good shot at it without even seeing the thing. You know, you're not spending two to five hours just driving around looking oh there's a rock pile like you already know that's there yeah right and that's (laughs) I think that comes down to the stuff it shouldn't all be in a negative light like this is incredibly impressive and I I use this stuff daily as from an angler and that's one thing too that I want to bring up you know is in these situations when we talk you know I really personify the DNR because that's who I'm representing but It truly comes from being an angler. I was an angler long before I fished for the DNR, or long before I worked for the DNR. I fish now, and God willing, I'll fish after. And I'm using the same stuff everyone else is and taking full advantage of it. But they're all tools, right? And uh, just like any tool, sometimes people do dumb stuff with them. Not everybody's incredibly safe with a table saw. Some people get a little reckless. And uh, that's a big part of this technology work group is just understanding areas where we can educate and get some information out there and just help people maybe take a second to think about it a little more before they're uh, using these tools some way that might impact future fisheries.
0: Okay, we, we are burying the lead to some degree and we're going to get into the two hottest button issues when it comes to technology. I promise <laughs> you that. But Storm, I do wanna go back and I want you to tell me a little bit about what the group has done so far and and what are the next steps for you guys? Yeah, so this is
1: honestly really, really new. Uh, We've only had one meeting to this point. Um, The DNR roundtable just happened, and I think the a lot of focus went into that before scheduling a, a second meeting. So there will be a second meeting here in the near future. But the really big takeaway was just education and Um, As you said, burying the lead a little bit, one thing that I I really want to stress with a technology work group is that we've heard some rumblings that there's concerns the DNR wants to ban forward-facing sonar. And that's nothing that has even been discussed or brought up or even on the table. I, I own it myself. A couple of the coworkers at my office own it and use it. So that's, that's not what this work group wants to do. We're not looking into limiting what technology you're allowed to use or how to use it, but more so just understanding, you know, how are other anglers utilizing this? And in some situations, is it as big of an issue as people might perceive or is it causing, um, or is it actually creating the concerns that might be perceived or are those just, you know, um, unjustified beliefs at the moment. Okay. So really just, uh, Trying to educate not only anglers, it's not kind of a finger-wagging thing of you need to be better, but also ourselves and really understanding what people are doing with this and how it's being used, and are there places that we could do better of improving our education and outreach, or, you know, maybe there are certain situations where a minor tweak to reg change could benefit that, uh, a specific fishery.
0: I know when it comes to forward-facing sonar, you know, I mean, uh, there there's... There's a lot of people who love it, obviously, and a lot of people who don't, uh, particularly in tournament settings. I know that, um, I think, the Muskie, Pro Muskie Tour band, Forward Facing Sonar, Um, that hasn't happened so much in in walleye tournaments. I'm on a committee of a big walleye tournament in our area. There had been expressed some concern from some anglers about it, Um, anglers who maybe don't feel they can afford it or don't want to spend that kind of money, but then they don't feel like they have a shot at the tournament if they don't. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely out there. Um, it, it is, it is kind of a hot button issue.
1: Yeah. And that's one of those things too, like you brought up before with that is that the tournament world has a little more control, right? Because they're just regulating people who are actively participating in that group, not a whole state. And, uh, in that situation, they have the option if if they didn't want people to use it to restrict that group. But as you'd said before, the cat's kind of already out of the bag. When you have people going out and dominating these tournaments and then telling them like, yeah, we're not going to let you use it anymore. And the money that comes from sponsorships and other things like that, there'd be pretty significant fallout from that. But, you know, we could probably dive into that a little bit on the forward facing sonar portion is, you know, it's one of those things where part of this technology work group is, maybe stopping some of the misconceptions that are out there about forward facing sonar and looking at it as the bad guy, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's not a magic fish catcher and it's not a magnet by any means. And people can still go out and struggle significantly using it. I know this winter, my first couple of times using it on the ice, I did absolutely terrible. And there's a huge learning curve with it of understanding what you, how to use it appropriately in terms of being successful. But You can't deny it's a game changer, right? Like guys Mm -hmm. uh, and gals wouldn't be spending thousands of dollars on a unit that is barely cumbersome to haul around. You know, I joke that it's kind of a chore to get it out of my basement where I charge it, just to haul it up to my truck. (laughs) But
0: uh,
1: and if you're willing to do that, it it means something.
0: I, you know, I've I've talked to a number of guys who they. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. They did it. I mean, yeah. But, how can you not?
1: It's, and honestly, like, even from a learning standpoint, it's, it's unbelievable because you look at how phishing technology in terms of sonar has adapted, you know, back, back in the 70s is a little note, they actually had support from within the DNR and the broader community to try and ban graph recorders, which were basically paper versions of flashers. And there was an argument that if you could clarify that bottom separation, it was going to be the end of walleye fishing. Well, we're in 2024 now, and I'm pretty sure people are still catching walleyes. But uh, you look at how all that stuff has come along in each technology with sonar improvements, flasher improvements, down imaging, 360 side imaging. Fish are so cryptic, but each one of those kind of peels a layer off, right, where we learn more and more about how they're behaving and, you know, the the habitat they're using. And this is all just as an angler observing on the water without even having to crack a book, which that portion of it is incredibly impressive. And I think there's a draw from that standpoint too, uh, you know, just knowing what's going on. I think humans in general are kind of hungry for information and the more you understand. And once you've seen it, it's, I mean, it's so tough to go back. Have, Have you,
0: personally had the chance to fish with it or do you own it yourself i i don't i typically fish with people though who do have it so i i i uh i just uh jump on a lot of other people's boats <laughs> that's
1: that's <laughs> the right way to do it because it still has a hefty price tag yeah and uh it took a lot of convincing on my part to sell my wife on it being something that we need <laughs> um telling her that it would help put food on the table was not uh <laughs> was not helpful but uh, it's incredible, and I kind of fell in that same boat of going out with people and seeing how they were using it. And even though we maybe didn't catch any more fish than we would have otherwise, just seeing how they react to bait or what they're doing in that situation and fish being in areas that you never would have even guessed before, like that stuff, I, it blows my mind. And I think that portion of it is it's so cool and not necessarily something that's dangerous, right? But there are areas where that... Could be um, to maybe get into the other hot topic that you brought up, and I don't know how far I want to venture down this rabbit hole because I'm not really involved with the barotrauma trauma studies, and mm-hmm. um, I'm fairly far removed. And I, uh, it's been blown up online. I'm sure most of your listeners have at least heard of some of the stuff going on, but
0: we will go there next. Storm and I discuss barotrauma trauma.
1: This is Toby Cavallovag. All of us at LOA are proud to make Kev Jackson sound smart. Sort of. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hi,
0: this is Dick Beardsley with Dick Beardsley Fishing Guide Service and Fish House Rentals. Are you looking to plan your next ice fishing adventure? Well, look no further as Bemidji, Minnesota is the place to be. There are over 400 fishing lakes within a 25-mile radius of Bemidji. Come drop a line and become a fishing legend. While on your fishing adventure, explore the hundreds of well-groomed snowmobile trails that Bemidji has to offer. Don't forget to take a picture with the historic Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Bemidji, bigger fish and better stories. I'm Chuck Hasse, Leisure Outdoor Adventures, and you're listening to Paul Bunyan Country. Let's start with uh, uh, just a definition for those who aren't familiar. um, What is barrel?
1: So to think of it in a human perspective, um, going underwater, the deeper you go, pressure increases. Mm -hmm. And the further you go down, that atmospheric pressure is continuing to increase. And then you see things like uh, you hear of the bends. When people come up from being at depth for too long and they come up too fast, we start to see different neurological impacts and other physical um, damage that happens to human beings. And with fish, it's a little different, right, because they have swim bladders they can go down to these adepts and adjust using their swim bladders, but it can take some time, especially the deeper you go. As I mentioned, that pressure increases. So if they're down, you know, the magic number that keeps being brought up is deeper than about 30 feet is where they start to see a lot of impacts. Mm -hmm. When that fish is at that depth, they might be able to slowly get down there and sustain that and live there comfortably. But as you bring them up, especially at a quick rate. And when I say quick, I don't mean that you could sit and reel these fish up slowly and they wouldn't have any impact. Um, you could take, you know, two minutes to get a fish up and it might still have barotrauma. trauma. That's where they start to have similar uh, things. As I mentioned with the bends with damage to internal organs, um, their swim bladders, you might see protruding from their mouths where it's just really them not being able to compensate for that depth change quick enough.
0: Okay. And, where, you know, modern technology comes in is the ability to see those fish so accurately that far down that you're bringing more of them up and you really can't catch and release at that point. You either have to keep them or they're going to die in in a lot of cases.
1: Yeah, and that's where, you know, some people who may have watched these videos or podcasts or things, no matter what side of the aisle you fall on of, you know, have being critical of how the DNR did their experiment, which, you know, some of that is justified and, you know, that's part of science. You need to improve, but either way, if you agree with what happened or don't everyone involved has said the same thing is, you know, fishing deep is something that maybe you just shouldn't do unless you plan on keeping those fish. And this isn't new with scope No. Uh, before that people have been going out with, um, sonars and flashers and finding these fish it might take a little more work and finding them and then continuing to fish and we you know we've started talking more and more about catch and release and it gets more popular and you know for a period we maybe weren't understanding what we were doing to these fisheries of sitting there and catching and releasing them even though they had signs of barrel trauma and then they might have actually been dying when you were putting them back and this, some of that could be from handling or whatever it may be But now I think some of the concern is that, you know, this isn't a wide scope issue, but they're certainly easier to find, right? Right. (laughs) And that's where I think some of that, you know, we try to keep the two subjects separated, but you really can't now.
0: I I guess the point being, like we do um, as, you know, anglers who who give a rip about the fisheries, uh, wherever we catch our fish, we have to make some... Some smart decisions on what we're doing. So, if you want to go fishing, for example, uh, for those fish, um, know that you're going to probably have to keep what you pull up from down there and maybe you stop it too, even though the fish are biting and it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, and that's, you know, that might actually be an area that to look at it from the other side, forward facing sonar might help. If you go out on a lake in the wintertime, and drill, you know, 50 to 100 holes isn't unreasonable anymore with how light augers are. Right. But you're still you by the end you're going to be sweating and <laughs> working pretty hard. And on that 100th hole, you mark a school of fish and they're at 35 40 feet. Are you going to pass on those? <laughs> I know it would be tough and after putting in that much work, it's going to be really tempting to sit there and catch them especially if they stick around. But, you know, that's where forward-facing sonar might provide that opportunity where if you can find them easier, you might be a little more willing to pass on those fish. Like, okay, I found the school in 40 feet, but maybe I could go somewhere else and feel a little more confident that I'd be able to find them. And not to say it wouldn't take work, because it certainly does. It's As I mentioned before, it's not a, a magic fish catching pill, but there are some upsides that uh, definitely could be on the table. And um, like you said, it's one of those things where we just have to be more responsible more responsible as anglers and not just with crappies, you know, muskies are one that have been brought up consistently Mm to post-spawn being out in 35, 40 feet where, um, you know, you you don't have an option to keep it unless it's a 54 inch plus fish. And that's maybe where it's a little harder, you know, the fish of a thousand casts to pass on. But when you know what the end outcome could be, maybe you just skip that one.
0: Right. Uh, boy, it's, it's, it is definitely stuff you can talk about over and over and over from a zillion different angles. Yeah. And that's,
1: I, I kept trying to sum up my notes and find areas to shorten (laughs) things up. And I think, I mean, you could talk about smartphones and technology for an hour or forward facing sonar or whatever it may be. And, um, it's, it's pretty incredible and there is a lot of other really good information out there and that's part of the technology as well. I mean, um, Fred Amundsen has a sporting journal radio, uh, you know, something your listeners might already listen to where they've covered the barrel trauma stuff in depth for a three week period. And um, I probably didn't do it justice in describing it. So I apologize for that, but they do a pretty good job of breaking it down. But, you know, consuming that stuff is, is all part of this work group and making sure that that information is out there and that people have the ability to to find it and know what's going on and make those educated decisions as we're out there. Because as I mentioned, all of these things are tools, right? And similar to a car, I know we (laughs) joked about this before, just because your car can go 130, 140 miles an hour doesn't mean you should. Just because you can go out and find something in a deep hole because it's predictable doesn't mean that you should fish it. And, you know, the technology could maybe help with that by providing you insight on where else to look.
0: Um, you know, one of the things that we have going in the state, um, and I I think, I, I don't know if I've ever brought it up to you specifically, but I've talked to a lot of people about this. One of the things about Minnesota anglers is they really, truly give a rip about the resource. They, they are smart. They probably know more. The average angler in Minnesota probably knows more about fish biology than any other state. I mean, I'm sure there's... I, you know, but you know what I mean. They they just really seem to know, really seem to care, and really are, by and large, self motivated to self police themselves really well in the state.
1: And that's something that I hear described constantly. You know, I've been with the DNR for five years, so I'm relatively new on that side of things. Um, you know, from an anecdotal standpoint, from spending time around anglers before the DNR, but even within, it's been brought up so much of the education of Minnesota anglers and their understanding of fisheries and how much that's progressed through time. And I think when it, you know, it's part of something that's really ingrained as a tradition in Minnesotans is fishing. So we have a little more passion and care for it. And the amount of time that people are willing to take to learn about it, I think is truly impressive. And that's why, you know, I said earlier, this isn't a committee to finger wag and tell people you need to do better and learn and You know, some of that is true. I'm included in that. I do dumb things that I could easily stop doing that would probably help fisheries. But um, it's just a chance to get a little more of that information out there because we know people are consuming it and are really engaged with learning Mm -hmm. and actually participating in conserving these fisheries for, you know, not just our generation, but the ones to come. And that's something I don't think anglers get enough respect for, you know. (laughs) Unfortunately, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Right, you hear about some of the crazy antics, and like, oh, did you hear what so and so said online about that? And but overall, so many times we've been out talking to people on lakes, and it's incredible what they already know, or you know what they want to hear, and are willing to listen to. So, um, to anybody listening who is can find themselves in that group, like I truly thank you, and am I'm impressed with that.
0: I think the thing that really, truly impresses me, you know, when you think about the fact that a guide, um, people pay big money to use a guide. Sometimes people coming from out of state get one week to fish in Minnesota for a whole year, and, you know, they probably instinctively want to bring home a lot of fish. I have been so impressed with guides whose livelihood depends on keeping customers happy go on that extra mile to talk to them about why we do what we do and please let's just take this and and they've by and large seem to win these people over but that that's not the easiest thing to do when you're looking at the you know your checkbook and and how you make a living yeah
1: yeah that takes uh that takes some guts honestly to be able to maybe steer people in a different direction of if they want to do this and you know, you can't just blatantly say no by explaining why. And, uh, you know, I know there's some scrutiny of uh, guides and technology to all come together and taking multiple groups out in the day and hammering fish. And we just don't honestly know if that's truly the case. And a lot of the people that I've interacted with have been pretty respectful of understanding what that impact could have on a fishery. And, you know, one person I've never met in person, but I've interacted with online is Jeff Sundin. Uh, he's a guide from up in Grand Rapids and he's actually on this work group, but he talked about taking people out and never really having the goal of limiting out on, you know, walleyes specifically, but you know, you go out and you catch a few and then you move on to maybe targeting some crappies and get a few and then you go catch bass to really show people what Minnesota waters have to offer. And it's, you know, it's not just walleyes or it's not just crappies or big pike. Like you can do it all in the fact you can do it in one day and there are people out there like him who are taking the time to do that when it might impact their pocketbook. I have a lot of respect for that.
0: Do you um, do you have a, a process available for this uh, if people want to weigh in? Or how, uh, was that opportunity be- there before? Honestly, that brings
1: up a really good point. Uh, and at the, this moment, there really isn't a way to go about doing that, but... I think that's an excellent idea to include and bring up at the next meeting is, you know, opening up some type of avenue for people to provide a public input on this. And yeah, that's somewhere where anytime there is a reg change, which is nothing that we've discussed, there is always that opportunity for people to provide input there. So should that be an end result of anything, um, there would be that portion. But I think just give an insight on, I, yeah, I personally, <laughs> I don't want to, my email inbox. <laughs> people can look up, look up my name and see that I work at the Glenwood office and see my work email. Like, I love to hear from people on it. You know, how are you using it? I'm sure some people will email me and tell me, you know, how terrible of a person I am, but that's, that's fine. Cause a majority of them are really good. And I, I love taking phone calls from people in our area and just chatting about fishing and what they're doing. So um, I think establishing that avenue is an incredible idea and something that we should incorporate moving forward.
0: So do, do you have a timeline? Um, what, what, what's it looking like for the next year or two or however long you guys plan on, on being really uh, insightful on this?
1: Uh, honestly, I think it's going to be indefinite because, okay. as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, technology with the progression, quickening, how fast new stuff is coming out. There's always going to be a need to have people who are on the front lines. And that's the big thing about having some of these people in the angling community on board is, you know, they see how this stuff manifests on the water. We might have ideas or hear about it. And some of the new technology is getting tried for three years before it's readily available to the public. And that's something that we're just going to constantly have to stay in tune with. And the education thing um you know uh, that's one thing that we do have a goal on for sure is you know getting some type of uh readily available media whether it's just a web page or a handout that can be distributed with fishing guides uh or the rag books about you know some of the hot button issues and things that you can do to maybe avoid finding yourself in that situation we'd like to have something like that out by fishing opener um other than that, I think a big thing right now is just kind of doing the, the review and finding out areas that we need to improve on and gathering that information about, you know, what are some of the concerns. Uh, one of my coworkers at the Glenwood office right now is presenting at the Midwest Fish and Wildlife Conference next week, and he's been looking into live scope use, and um, that's something that hopefully we could make available that people could somehow find that information well, right now it's actually incredibly low and I don't want to steal his, or rain on his parade or steal his thunder because he's done some incredible work and the amount of time that he's had to spend in the digging into this is unbelievable. But really is what he's found from a few creel surveys that have recorded that data is that, you know, catch rates might be a tiny bit higher with people using forward-facing sonar and harvest rates are actually a little little lower, but there's no significant difference. But one thing is, I think on the high end, only like 13% of anglers were using it in these creel surveys. So it's still fairly new and it's going to be important to continue to monitor that. So that's a huge part of this work group is staying involved with uh, studies like that, that uh, Nick Rydell is doing. Um, that, That work is honestly like cutting edge, not like on the front line. So staying informed there so we can track those trends. And if they're there are any issues or, you know, maybe a fishery starts to tank and people point at technology as the issue, we can say, hey, we have this data. That's not what's going on. We need to look somewhere else and could potentially solve that issue a lot quicker.
0: Well, if you don't have one yet, I'd suggest you guys get an AI subgroup put together because that's going to be hitting us next.
1: <laughs> that's a good point. I won't have to do these interviews anymore. Uh, <laughs> some AI bot can just uh, uh, No, get with you. no, it's no, really no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that's that's true that's going to be uh i know one of my coworkers; his wife works at a school and hearing some of the stories but that is unbelievable
0: yeah it, it is and i i don't know how it's going to manifest itself and i just know it is because it's manifesting itself everywhere we know i know it's a big deal in our industry and uh there's a lot of us that are looking at it with a little bit of suspicion but uh it, it's i know it's coming
1: being in media and journalism, I can only imagine the – I guess I don't even know where to start. <laughs> like, It's kind of scary. It's kind of cool. And I think that's kind of the same place we find ourselves is like where do you utilize it beneficially and where do you maybe try and curb some things that could be disastrous?
0: Right. Oh, believe me. I, yeah. I mean, like I said at the outset, technology affects everyone unless you're Amish. And it, uh, it, it's, it's just, it's tentacles. And I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way, but it's tentacles are reaching everywhere. And, and we all have to figure it out. Not just those of us who work for the DNR or our fishing guides or fish. I mean, it's everywhere and it's everything.
1: Yeah. And that's, uh, kind of the drum I've been beating is responsibility, right? Yeah. <laughs> individual needs to take ownership on whatever front it is and just make sure that you're you're doing the educated you're making educated decisions and uh, trying to do things that are going to, uh, you know, better, better the situation, whether that's fishing, uh, schoolwork, radio. And, you know, in general, I kind of have the perception or this idea, you know, just be a good human being. <laughs> when yes. you think about that for a second, it can make that decision process a little easier. All
0: right. Well, it was great conversation today. I, I'll be keeping tabs on it. I mean, if, is there Are there releases out? Is there information out for people if they want to kind of read up on this? Uh, do you guys have any information for them somewhere on the website?
1: Um, like I said, honestly, this is so new that uh, nothing like that has really been generated yet. Okay. And another good talking point to bring up in our next meeting is you know maybe developing a web page just to really focus on getting some of this information out there. So including that and an avenue for people to provide input, I think, are are excellent ideas. And uh, I'll bring them up at our next meeting. All right. And anything that comes down the pipe, I'll be sure to uh, at least uh, relay to you so that that can be spread out a little bit amongst your listeners.
0: That'd be awesome. That would be great. Um, yeah, it's not going away, like I said, and and, and everybody's interested in it. So uh, it, it's going to be an ent- interesting couple of uh, couple of years going forward for sure.
1: Certainly. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. I don't mean to make it sound doom and gloom. I hopefully hopefully didn't do that. But uh, it's exciting. But there is uh, there is some concern in areas as well. So it'll be interesting to see what it
0: brings. Well, he's Storm Kettle Hut. He is a fishery specialist out of the Glenwood office. He's part of the uh, technology and uh, group that the the DNR is putting together. Um, thank you for the time, Storm. Thanks for your insight. I really appreciate it. And uh, I know we'll be talking in the future because I'm starting to put my legs together, so uh, I'm sure I'll be calling you down the road here.
1: Perfect. I look forward to it. And uh, like I said before, thanks for uh, having a little guy like me on with all the... <laughs> All the big guests, so I appreciate it. (laughs)